where there's just so much bad news. It's so awesome to come here this morning and hear about the good news of people doing exactly what you just sang about, putting all of their hope in Jesus. Whether it's a college student down at the beach or it's people in Turkey, how exciting to be a part of that. And this morning, we look at a a character in Scripture. I, I think, honestly, one of the most unlikely people in Scripture who actually comes to Jesus. So I want you to put yourself in the place of Nicodemus as I begin this message with you. You know, I've I've been climbing the ladder all of my life, and I've actually made it to the top. And it's not just any ladder, it's the ladder of religion. You you see, I am a Pharisee. There's only 6,000 of us, and we most meticulously keep the law. And on top of being a Pharisee, I've actually become a part of the Sanhedrin. It's only 70 men, and we rule Israel. And then even in the Sanhedrin, I'm known as the teacher of the law. Man, I've gotten all the way to the top. But here's my problem. When I got to the top and I looked, it wasn't what I expected. And despite all of the accolades and all of the accomplishments and the way people even look at me, there was just something missing. And so I began to hear about this this preacher, this rabbi who seems to have none of the normal qualifications, and yet every time people hear him preach, they go, we've never heard anybody speak like this. And then there's all these rumors about him helping blind people see and lame people walk and even weird miracles like he's turned water into wine. And so I'm drawn to to know more. Could this be what I'm missing? So finally, I decide I've got to go see him, but I've got a lot at stake here, guys. I mean, if the other Sanhedrin members find out that I've gone to see him, they're not going to exactly be very pleased with me. And so I decide to go in the middle of the night. I get up about midnight to go see him. And my wife says, where are you going? And I try to play it off by saying, I've got some Sanhedrin business to deal with. And she says, no, 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 I know you better than that. You're wanting to go talk to this outrageous preacher, Jesus, who's causing so much trouble. And I go, yeah, I've got to see what's going on. And she says, do you not realize that the kind of people he hangs around with, prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners, this could, could kill your reputation. I say, I'm going to be careful. I'm going in the middle of the night so nobody will see me. I've got my, my sweatshirt on and my hoodie. And so I sneak through the streets of Jerusalem, and I finally get to the house where Jesus is, and I knock on the door, and they invite me in, and I see Jesus face to face, and I start with a compliment. I know that you must be from God because no one could do what you're doing if you weren't from God. And and what sort of blew me away is he didn't even recognize my compliment. He didn't even say thank you. He just went straight to my heart with a bombshell. He looks me in the eye and he says, you, Nicodemus, must be born again something's wrong with your life, and you need to start all over. Man, I wanted to walk out of there. I thought my wife was right, but I, right by this point, am in the middle of this fascinating conversation, and I can't quite leave. I want you to turn your Bible or look on the screen or in your phone to John chapter 3, and let's look at this conversation. I call this Nick at Night, And, and the conversation begins 
with a rather confusing discussion. At least it was to Nicodemus. Look at verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that your teachers come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And here's the bombshell. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one, including you, can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. I'm thinking, my goodness, what a way to start a conversation. Does he not know who I am? And then um, in verse 4, I, I try to deflect it by getting literal with him. I mean, I'm deep enough to know there's got to be something spiritual here, but I'm not too comfortable with this conversation, so, so I take it literal. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I try to deflect it by, by saying, you know, Jesus, are you asking people to, to start all over by, by going back and doing something that's rather in, impossible? And then Jesus says, okay, let me, let, me, let, me, let me explain who the mother and father are. Let's go to verse 5. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of the water and of the Spirit. I, I'm going, basically, Jesus, this whole deal you're talking about of starting life all over is impossible because nobody can go back to the beginning. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, you don't understand. It's possible because the mother and father are not your fleshly mother and father. They're the water and the spirit. Now, that's a fascinating thing for Jesus to say. And I've had this week to put myself in the place of Nicodemus. What does he think when Jesus says, you must be born of the water and the spirit? This man knows his Old Testament. I think one thing he probably thought about was Ezekiel 36 where there's this incredible promise of what happens when the Messiah comes. Just listen to these words. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove your, from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a soft heart. I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Nicodemus, he sees the power here of water and spirit. And guys, all through the Bible, these are so symbolic of what every one of us needs. Water is cleansing. The spirit is symbolic of power. Now, I think when Nicodemus heard this, and you can agree or disagree with what I'm about to say, he also probably had to think about baptism. Because at this moment... Baptism something been going on for a long time. Now, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, there was a baptism ceremony that you had to go through. Obviously, the headlines of this day are about this redneck preacher named John the Baptist who people were streaming out of the cities to go get baptized. And man, the Sanhedrin's not too happy about this. And so he's got to be familiar with these things, but to Nicodemus, this has to be quite offensive. You're telling me for me to start all over, I've got to come to you like some ungodly Gentile, like someone going to John the Baptist in the middle of the desert? 
So I think he must have felt that. And guys, listen, through Scripture, this, this interplay of water and the Spirit continues. In Acts chapter 2, after Jesus is resurrected and ascended, and the gospel is preached, and everybody goes, how do we get in on this? Listen to what Peter said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, there's that play of water and spirit. And then Paul writes in Titus chapter 3, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. Here we go. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. There's good reason to believe Nicodemus had to associate this rebirth with baptism. He still is having a hard time understanding it, though. And so as you go, Jesus tries to tell him where the power is. Please understand this. When Jesus says you must be born again, the word also could be you must be born from above. In other words, this is something initiated by God and empowered by God. It's not something you can achieve on your own. So look at what Jesus says in verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh. What's flesh? That's your human part of you. You can't rebirth yourself. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. He's saying, Nicodemus, yes, I understand. This is a little bit mysterious. I'm not talking about you changing yourself. You've probably tried that, and it didn't work. I have. How about you? I'm talking about you being a born from the Spirit, he said, let me tell you, I know you don't quite understand that. I don't quite understand it. But he says, here's the way it is. It's like the wind. You don't really see where it's coming. You don't see where it's going. But you know it's there. You see the leaves rustle. You feel the wind through your hair. And and, and so the evidence of the Spirit is not that you completely understand God's will. It's that there's evidence of a changed life. I love a story that an older commentator named William Barclay writes. There was a man who was in a coal mine, and he was an alcoholic, and he became a Christian, and everybody he worked with just couldn't believe it. And, and they're just making fun of him all the time and trying to make him question what he's done. And they go, you know, there's no way you believe in this Jesus guy. You really believe someone raised from the dead? You really believe that he could heal people that were blind? Come on. And then to try to punch him in his past, you really believe this Jesus turned water into wine? Now, love what this old coal miner said. I really don't know whether he turned water into wine in Palestine, but I do know in my house he turned beer into furniture. Don't you love that? Because when it comes to the work of the Spirit, you don't have to have a great handle on how it happens. But when you see it, you will know it. And so now the conversation continues. And um, Nicodemus says in verse 9, how can this be? I mean, is, is, is this really true? Someone can start their life all over again, can be brand new? 
Now, Jesus is pretty rough on Nicodemus, if I can be honest here. I mean, he doesn't, I mean, you know, he doesn't take the general approach with Nicodemus, the gentle approach, because he's dealing with a religious guy. And religious people normally are the hardest people Jesus has to deal with. And so Jesus rebukes him. He says, how you are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? I mean, as much as you know, this spiritual talk doesn't make sense to you. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then can you believe if I speak of heavenly things? You just want to talk about physical, earthly things, and I'm trying to tell you about spiritual things, and you're not getting it. And then he makes an audacious claim. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So right in the middle of this encounter, Jesus tells this guy in the middle of the night who he is. He's the Son of God. And then Jesus says, okay, guys, let me simplify this story for you. And he goes to this weird, weird, weird Old Testament story. He says in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Well, what's that about? There's this crazy story back in Numbers 21. God's people have escaped Egypt, and they're nothing but complainers. They're so crazy, they're even saying, we'd rather go back into slavery than live the way we're living. And God is royally upset, and God sends a bunch of venomous snakes. And anyone bit by the snake obviously dies. And then they cry out to God, God, save us. And God does this really weird thing. He has Moses create a bronze snake and put it on top of a pole. And here was the deal. If you got bit by a snake, God says, if you'll look up at this bronze snake, you'll be healed. And they were. He said, that's, that's, that's really crazy. I mean, that, God, sometimes God asks us to do crazy things to display our faith. What does it mean to to look up at that snake? It means, you know what? I can't heal myself, but I, I can look to God to heal me. And Jesus says, in the same way, I am going to be lifted up on a cross. He'll say later in John, and when I'm up on that cross, I'll draw all men to myself. So how are people healed when you've been bitten by the venomous snake of sin and you deserve to go to hell? Oh, man, it's the same words. You just look up to Jesus. What's he saying? Nicodemus, I know all this has been sort of confusing to you, but all of this is about simply putting faith in God and trusting him to save you. And then, maybe you've never recognized this because we quote this verse so often, but the most quoted verse in the Bible, probably the most beautiful verse of the story of God is first told to this religious man who sneaks out in the middle of the night to figure if he can put his faith in Jesus. Listen to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Nicodemus hears that. That's the story. And then he tells him, Nicodemus, God's for you. Listen to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I want you to know, Nicodemus, the heart of God is not like some of you Pharisees think, is to catch you on some kind of religious loophole and send you to hell. The the heart of God is to send you to heaven. He's come here to save you. 
So this is just a crazy great story that ends with those powerful verses. But in applying this, I want to look at two things. Because I think Nicodemus represents us very well. First of all, I want us to look at some of the barriers that Nicodemus faced in coming to Christ. And then I want us to look, and we'll tell the rest of the story in a moment, of what opened his heart up for radical change. First of all, the barriers. There's all kinds of reasons for Nicodemus not to be here. First of all, it's the barrier of ignorance. When Jesus tries to describe that life can begin again and you can really be changed, Nicodemus, despite all his religious training, has a hard time believing that. Is that possible? Hey guys, we live in a culture today that tells us, you know what? Nobody can really change. The way you are is the way you are. You were born that way. Don't think you can change. Anybody who tells you you can change is crazy. And listen, if we're talking about the flesh and me going, I need to change my life, absolutely right. If we're talking about being born from above through the Spirit of God, we're absolutely wrong. Nicodemus needed to know what he didn't know before, that real change was possible. I mean, he's got a hole in his heart. He knows he needs something different than what he's got. And Jesus says, let me tell you about that. guy. some of us, we got some, some ignorant beliefs about salvation. We think good people go to heaven. There are no such thing. We think um, religious people go to heaven. That's not necessarily true. We think just if you go to church, you'll go to heaven. And if you do more good things than bad things, you'll go to heaven, my friends. That is completely ignorant. The only way you and I will ever go to heaven is we lift up our eyes and we look in childlike faith to Jesus. Now, the second barrier I think is most obvious here for Nicodemus, it's just arrogance. I mean, this guy, man, he's got the credentials. I mean, to me, the thing that would have kept me back from going to Jesus, I'm Nicodemus, is, man, I'm the, I am the teacher of the law. I'm on the Sanhedrin. For me to come to Jesus is to admit there's a problem in my life. And right here at the beginning, Nicodemus is only willing to do that privately. And my friends, I think the greatest barrier to most of us coming to Jesus is our sense of pride. Because to come to Jesus means you know you don't have it together. You're never going to get to Jesus until you admit how messed up you are. You see, what we want to believe is that we're all, we say things like this, well, everybody's good. At heart, everybody's good. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches no one's good. And, you know, I'm a good person, and, yeah, I need to come to Jesus, and I'm a good person, and I'll come to Jesus, and I'll be a little bit better person. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you are so desperately lost that you need a do-over, that you need to start life all over again. And that's why Jesus said, I'm telling you guys, I can only heal sick people. That didn't mean other people weren't sick. It's that they didn't know they were sick. They didn't admit they were sick. And my friends, the great barrier to us coming to him, especially if I can be just blunt for a moment, for us men, is for us to finally let our pride down and say, you know what, the way I'm doing it is not working. Thank goodness Nicodemus had that kind of humility. I'm a sinner. Because listen, the most dangerous arrogance is religious arrogance. 
When someone comes to a point where they think, you know, I've really got it all figured out, man, and I've got all the check boxes going, and man, I, I got it going on my own. My friends, that is so dangerous. And that person has to have a lot of humility to finally say, you know what, I don't have it all figured out right. Nicodemus was that guy. What else could have been a barrier? I think acceptance. Do you realize what this would have meant to Nicodemus? If he decides to follow Jesus, you think he's going to be accepted by the Sanhedrin who think Jesus is a kook? Who Jesus had just turned over the temple and ran people out with a whip? John chapter 12, there's a group of religious Jewish leaders who said, believed in Jesus, but they would not follow him because they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. You see, my friend, if we're not careful, we think too much of what someone else is going to think. I see these teenagers over here. If you really just surrendered your life to Jesus, you might get some flax from some of your friends. When you're not going to go out and party the way they're going to party, and you're not just going to go out and do the things that they think are, are good, you know, I mean, there's going to be a pressure about that. We don't like to see someone. Some of you college students here love college students being back today. Man, for you to really surrender your life to Jesus and his will in a day where most people think the standards of Jesus are crazy would take a lot of courage, and you'd get some flack. And even those among the adult world today, my friends, what holds so much of us back is we're too scared of what people think about us. If I really started putting Jesus first, if I really changed my priorities, what would they say? Then another barrier, I think the final barrier I see, and this was in Nicodemus' life, is just simply abundance. Every indication in Scripture is that Nicodemus was a very rich man. And Jesus had warned about that. In Matthew 19, Jesus said, It is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty funny picture. Can you see a little bitty needle and somebody pressing the bottom of this camel? And the disciples even say, well, it sounds impossible to us. And then Jesus says, no, rich people can be saved like anybody else. Everything's, everything's possible with God. But why would Jesus say it's harder for us, and probably most of us in this room are actually rich people, because when I feel empty, when I feel what Nicodemus felt, I've got the ability to, to temporarily fill that hole. I can go buy something. I can go on a trip. I can find some kind of entertainment to divert my mind. I can do something instantaneously. We, we live in an Amazon, Amazon prime world where I can actually have anything at my doorstep I want in 48 hours. And so the problem with people who live in abundance is not that God cares about people being rich. He doesn't have any problem with that at all. The problem is if we're not careful, we have enough diversions and enough distractions to never come to the point Nicodemus came to and go, man, there's something missing in my life. And I don't care how many things I buy and how many places I go and how many fun events I have and how many things I can experiment, drugs-wise, sex-wise, you name it. None of them's going to fill that void. And so that's a great barrier. I like what someone said. One definition of hell is getting everything you ever dreamed about 
and it not being enough. And that's what Nicodemus is experiencing. He had achieved it all, and it wasn't enough. So I ask you this morning, we talk about these barriers of ignorance. I hope today you've heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus. As we talk about arrogance, can I ask you this morning, are you willing to let down your pride to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus? Or maybe are you willing to to be rejected by certain people because your life is different? And are some of us willing to just sort of slow down and be uncomfortable without immediately finding something to fill that void? Here's the great news. Nicodemus was. We'll tell the rest of the story in a minute. Nicodemus did. Now, why did Nicodemus do it? What were the things that allowed him to break through the barriers? The first thing I think was his just sense of dissatisfaction. No matter what he had, it wasn't enough. And listen to me. Nobody comes to Jesus unless they reach a point of absolute dissatisfaction. When as someone would, used to say, I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so this morning, here's the thing about this, is no one can look at you and know that. No one in Israel would have looked at Nicodemus and said, I bet that guy feels empty. I, I bet that guy really deep down doesn't feel good about his life. No, you'd go, if anybody should feel good about their life, it's Nicodemus. And right now, I can't look across the pew and know, but you know If right now, no matter what you've got or what you've achieved, you're still living with this sense of dissatisfaction. You see, I think that's why Jesus is, man, he's pretty tough on Nicodemus. Why? Because Nicodemus, he's successful, he's religious, and Jesus has to break down his pride. It's like what we talked about last week. Real life doesn't change. Change doesn't really happen until you reach the point you surrender, you give up on yourself, and you give it all to Jesus. So this morning, if you're in our assembly today, and maybe even your spouse or the person sitting beside you has no clue that you're living with a sense of unease, a sense of emptiness, a sense of dissatisfaction, I'm telling you, that's a good thing. And then second, what Nicodemus had was a sense of attraction. Despite the fact that Jesus Christ was turning upside down everything that made Nicodemus feel secure. That was just something about Jesus he couldn't get away from. There was something that said, you know what, I, I know I, I can't stick my neck out too far yet, but, but I've I got to find a chance to talk to this guy because maybe, just maybe, he has what I'm missing and guys, this morning, I'm telling you, if you've got that sense of dissatisfaction, I, I want to I introduce you to Jesus Christ because he is the greatest. There is nobody on this earth who understands life the way he does. There's nobody who can teach the way he does. There's nobody with the power to change your life the way he has that power. I'm telling you, you get in the Gospels, you start looking at him, you be so attracted to him that you know there is someone that could fill that void. And then finally, Nicodemus bursts through these barriers because he takes action. Now, come on, let's be honest. How much easier for Nicodemus in his position to have just never even fooled with Jesus? 
He's got so much, his livelihood, his position, his power, everything at stake for him to stick his neck out for Jesus. But he was so dissatisfied with what was going on. He was so attracted that he had to go. And he has this rather confusing conversation, but obviously some seeds were planted. Because if you read the rest of the story, it's a great story. John chapter 7, the Sanhedrin's meeting, they're all mad at Jesus. They all want to do away with Jesus. And Nicodemus can't control himself. He blurts out, let's at least give him a chance. Should we, should we not just step back a little while? He'll either hang himself or he'll bless himself. Either he'll prove to be who he says he is, he'll prove not to. And so Nicodemus slows them down, but not forever. A couple years later, Sanhedrin's upset again. And they've come up with this scheme to kill Jesus. And guys, we've got to be honest here. Nicodemus played a part of it. Obviously, for a few moments, he doesn't speak out. And Jesus is killed. And Nicodemus is brokenhearted because he's encountered Jesus. And a friend of his named Joseph says, he's dead. Let's go get his body and give him a proper burial. And so Nicodemus is no longer Nick at night. He steps out of the darkness into the broad daylight, and him and Joseph take the dead body of Jesus and bury it in a rich man's tomb. Nicodemus finally has come to the point where he's, he knows he needs Jesus. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He's going to step out, and he's going to take a stand. And at this point, anybody can see it. I'm asking you this morning, is it time for you and I to take action? If this morning There is a sense of dissatisfaction in your life. I mean, you've got a lot of good things going in your life, and so you're almost, I mean, if, you're almost embarrassed. How can I be dissatisfied when I'm this blessed? But you've got that, and you also see this crazy attraction to Jesus. Now, what Satan's going to do is he's going to tell you, just think about it. Don't take action. In just a moment, you're going to have a chance to take action. I have this said to me quite often. I had it said to me last Sunday, two different people. One person said, buddy, I should have walked forward. I really should have, but I just couldn't do it. Another person said, you're going to see me in that water soon. I'm telling you, Satan doesn't mind us talking about this. He doesn't even mind you having this hole in your heart, even an attraction to Jesus, if you never take action. As our series is saying, it is a must. And so this morning, there may be some of you that you need to start life all over, that you need to be born again of the water and the Spirit. And the day's the day that you can meet the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in baptism You've surrendered your life to him. You believe in him. You're ready to live for him. And you want to be buried with him. And resurrected in just a few moments, if you'd like to, we'll take you back here to our delivery room. And you can start life all over again. That can happen. 
Or there may be some of us, you've been born again before, but by somehow Satan's got back in your life and he's, he's pulled you away from Jesus. And the Bible has two words for you. You need to repent and pray. You know, it's, you know, you see, one of our great barriers here is we don't really want to admit we're wrong. But if you want to come back to Jesus, the best thing you could do is show up on this front row and say, you know what, I need to repent. I need to change my mind about the way I'm living. And I want you guys to pray for me right now. And here's what I'm saying to you, and we don't like when Jesus says this, but this is one of the places he says this. It is a must. It's a necessity to be born again. And if you've never done that, do that today. Because there's, there's, a, there's a negative way to use that phrase. It's a must. You better do it. You got to do it. But today I also want to talk about a positive way to use that phrase. It is an absolute awesome must. You ever said that to somebody? My kids lived in New York for a long time, so we visit New York a lot. And anytime someone says, hey, we're going to New York City for the first time, the first words out of my mouth is, you must go to Ellis Island. That's my favorite part of the tour. It, you know, it, it's a must. That's not a negative thing. And guys, this morning, when we talk about you changing, you, no, not you changing your life, you surrendering your life to Jesus, it is a must, not just in the sense it's a requirement, but Can you believe this? You could start life all over. You could have a complete do-over. Every terrible thing you've done could be forgiven. And you could be empowered from above by the Holy Spirit to live completely different. My friends, I say to you today, not in a negative way, but in the most positive way possible, hard to believe, but it's a must. I mean, you've got the opportunity to do what Nicodemus, just like us, just wasn't sure. Can I really change life again, Jesus? How in the way does this, how does this work? You know, how do I do this? I'm telling you, Jesus said to Nicodemus, and he's saying to you, and he's saying to I, this morning, my goodness, it's possible change completely and this morning as we sing if you need to come forward we need to pray for you please come if you need to come to be baptized please come you see what Satan doesn't mind is us talking about this and seeing this incredible story and, and a guy that had all the reasons not to come to Jesus who came to Jesus he's okay with that thank you James thank you brother He's okay with that as long as you don't take action. I'm giving you a chance right now in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, for you to take an action and for your life to be changed. Please come as these others are coming already as we stand together and sing.